0: You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. So many of us in life are constantly searching for something, whether we recognize it or not. We're looking for something more. And so we started this series and we were talking about how everything, really everything that we could ever want, is found in the ultimate, unlimited, amazing love of Christ. And when we have received Christ... It's all that we need. It's our treasure. He's our everything. And out of that flows what we call the Christian life. Out of that flows community. Out of that flows relationship. Out of that flows our witness. Out of that flows our behaviors. Everything comes out of that. We talked about worship and prayer and scripture reading. And when I realize that Christ is my everything, all those things become a joy to me. Make sense? So that's kind of where we're at. We're finishing up, though, our three little Words that City Lights uses a lot is worship, grow, and anybody guess? Serve, right? So we're looking at serve today and and next week, and then we'll be finished with this series. And um, you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. I know what today's date is. It's close to Christmas. I need to hear about Mary and Joseph. That's what you're all thinking. Well, we'll look at that a little bit this morning. This is not going to be your typical Christmas message that you've signed up to hear today. but I do believe it also is about Christmas at the same time and about how do we serve. So, Isaiah, I want to read this Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Here's a prophecy through the prophet Isaiah For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. John chapter 3, verse 16, we we see this verse as well that many of us should know by heart, because we've seen it everywhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we have this Passage from Isaiah, this prophecy about this child being born, this son being given. God's going to give us this son, and this is who he's going to be. He will be God with us. He will be this wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. That's who he will be. Then we see Christ comes, Christ is crucified, and we see this verse in John 3 that he came not to condemn us, but to give us life. This Christmas season is known, it's the season of giving. Right? You guys heard that before? It's a season to give. We gotta go buy gifts. We gotta share. We gotta we gotta give something. So everybody's trying to find out what's the right present to get my boss, my coworker, my neighbor, my mom, my dad, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my wife, my spouse. Everything. We're trying to figure out who, what, what can I give this person? You guys ever have that person that you literally have no clue what to buy them? So you just like uh, Amazon gift card. There you go. <laughs> The whole world is yours. <laughs> Buy whatever you want, because I don't know you that well. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I like Amazon gift cards. They're great. Uh, that's, we, it's a season for giving. We, we just want to give something, kind of, kind of. It's kind of the season for giving. CNN reports this. I want to read this to you. Forget naughty or nice. Americans no longer wait for Santa to bring presents. Instead, they are buying their own presents. Yes, more and more people are treating themselves when they are out shopping for others. Nearly 60% of people are now self-gifting, according to the National Retail Federation. It's become so acceptable that the number of people admitting that they are doing it has nearly doubled in the last two years. According to research by Store Value Solutions, a company that runs gift card programs, people feel like... At the end of the year, they have more money to splurge on themselves. It's a pent-up demand, says Jenny uh, Paris, the senior president of that global marketing for storage solutions. She's basically saying that this year, it's doubled the amount of people who are buying for themselves for Christmas. The number one gift, I saw this on, I think, the Today Show the other week. The number one gift bought on Black Friday was people buying something for themselves. Tis the season for giving, Right? (laughs) Merry Christmas, me. <laughs> like, I love what I got myself. It's beautiful. Thank you. You didn't have to. Yes, I did. That's, that's what I say to myself. I'm kidding. It's the number one thing. We've, we've seen for years this crazy Black Friday insanity where people were getting stabbed and murdered at Walmart and stuff. I didn't have that experience this year. It was pretty peaceful Black Friday where I went anyway. Uh, but that's not, like, we've all kind of known this season of like insanity But yet we also know it's supposed to be this season for generosity, for giving, and for love, and for family. We know that's what we say it is, but reality is we're buying for ourselves, we're frustrated with the person that we know, we kind of have to get them something because they're going to get for us, and we don't want to look silly because they didn't get for, or they got us, and we didn't get, you guys know what I'm talking about? So yet there's this like obligated like, uh, Merry Christmas. Why do we give? Why at Christmas time do we give to each other? We give because at Christmas we celebrate the life given to us, right? We celebrate that Isaiah says a child was born, a son was given. John 3:16 says that God gave his only son to us. There's this giving idea. And then we see of course the wise men. Most people say 3, we don't know if there was 3 I know it looks perfect in pictures, but there might have been more, there might have been less. There was three gifts specifically named. Gold, frankincense, myrrh was given to Christ. We see them coming and bearing gifts because they heard, a profe- uh, heard a prophecy about this new king, and they followed the star, and they give gifts to a child. Right? So in the Christmas season, we know that our hearts should reflect the gift to the world, and the gift to Christ, we should reflect this season of giving. God's demonstrated it to us through Christ, to, to us, and we all, he also demonstrated, uh, demonstrated it through the wise men to Christ. So it's the season of giving. That's why we are supposed to give, right? There are, this morning, I want to talk about, we're in this whole phase of service, worship, grow, serve. I want to talk about in the season of giving, the season of generosity, what does that really look like? What does it look like to be a generous person? What does it look like to celebrate the gift of Christ to the world around us, to have a generous heart? There are lots of ways to give. We can give with our time. We can give with service. We can give with all other sorts of ways. And this morning, I want to focus primarily on what I feel God is challenging me to say to us. And those are the two hardest pills, I believe, for us to swallow when we talk about generosity. So brace yourselves. You might not like what I'm going to say. So number one, and we'll just go straight for the, yeah, there it is. Number one way of giving, and I want to speak about for a few minutes, is, is our resources. That could be the things that we have or our money, whatever it is. That could be the things that we possess, our resources. We are to be people of generosity. We said earlier when we did the offering that what we believe and what we see the gospel teach us It doesn't say, hey, this is the amount of dollars that you have to give. What it says is that Christ has demanded all of us. All that we are is his. We are to live this life of complete self-sacrifice, trusting God, whether it's finances, time, whatever, we say, God, it's yours anyway. That's the call. So we say we give cheerfully, we give regularly, and we give sacrificially. We see that throughout the New Testament. That is what it looks like to give out of the heart that follows Christ. We are to be people of generosity. Now, in the Old Testament, we see this law set up, right? Because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have hope of Christ. So they had this works mentality. And so the law that was set was 10% of what you got, you gave. So anything that you had, 10% of your cows, your chickens, your horses, your tents, whatever you had, you would give regularly 10%, right? And that was because they had to. They had to have a law. This is the minimum of what you do to serve God. That's, that's what it was. But let me say this. Before the law was created, we saw this example of 10% being done throughout the Old Testament. So it wasn't just because of the law, now all of a sudden we're doing 10%. It's because they needed the law because they were not obedient, spirit-led people. The New Testament, however, is what I just told you. That because we have Christ, this law isn't like, "Hey, you give ten percent and God will love you." It's, "Hey, Christ has given you everything. Live in response. Now you're able to go beyond the law. You're not doing things to earn God. You have God, and out of God, you give. Makes sense. So now we give with that mentality. I want to read this article in re- its irrelevant magazine. Um, it's, a, it's a not irrelevant magazine. Irrelevant magazine. That would be a bad name for a magazine. Irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Relevant Magazine, there's an article that says this, and I just, I'm saying this not with any kind of whatever, just so you see the status of where we are at as a nation. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of your normal church, only 5% of the U.S. tithes, with 80% of Americans giving 2% in their income. Christians are only giving about 2.5% per capita, and during the Great Depression... When they were broke, they gave 3.3%. The truth is a giving heart, it's, it's, a, it's a giving heart is the issue, not a money issue. It goes on to say numbers like that can invoke a lot of guilt, which isn't the point. The larger point is what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, 10%. Let's just say the 10% minimum there would be an additional $165 billion for the churches to distribute and give around the world. The global impact would be phenomenal. Here are just a few things the churches could do with that kind of money. $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. So for the next five years, just a portion of that, if if the the American church said, hey, we're going to go with this 10% thing, we're going to live sacrificially, we could eliminate, with just a portion of it, global hunger and sickness and starvation for five years. With just that giving, twelve billion out of that, out of the, the one sixty-five, could eliminate illiteracy in the next five years. Fifteen billion could solve the world's water and san- san- uh, sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than a dollar a day. One billion could fully fund all all overseas missions every year. One billion of that. Will, I know that it rings with your heart wherever you're at. He's a, he's a missionary. The rest, 100 to 110 billion, would still be left over to do something. That's if the church, everybody who goes to church has said, we, we just want to give 10%. That is huge, phenomenal impact worldwide if we just had that giving generosity in our heart. Those are some amazing numbers. This morning, I'm not trying to preach like, hey, you have to give. What I'm preaching is we need to look at our hearts and say, do I trust God with my resources? Do I trust God with what I have? If they gave more during the Great Depression, and it's called the Great Depression, (laughs) why are we giving less now in this age of abundance? It's because there's something in our hearts that's changed. We're no longer the season of, genera- uh, of generosity. We're no longer the church that gives and takes care of the poor, the widows, the orphans, the neglected. We're no longer the church that knows how to give and share amongst ourselves. The Acts church shared all that they have and gave to the poor. They, they fed the, those who were homeless. What could happen if we changed? Now, I'm not saying this is an easy thing. I'm, I, I want to give you my own personal story. In college... Um, I grew up in a Christian home that was important to tithe. It was, it was actually kind of religious. And in, in the way I grew up was like, if you didn't give 10%, God doesn't love you. That's not the Bible at all, okay? That's what I'm saying. That's not true. But I grew up in this in this home with this mentality. I got to college, and I was working two different jobs. One, another job, I was a youth pastor an hour and a half away from my campus, so I'd drive back to be a youth pastor. That paid $50 a week. My other two jobs where I was uh, working in a restaurant and working uh, at a for a drama team thing at one point, and there was other jobs as well. But so I was working multiple jobs, full-time college student, youth pastor at the same time, and I'm broke as a joke, <laughs> just really broke. Like I had no money. But let me say this: I looked at myself and I said, I have no money. I have nothing to to give. So and I need this money for my own needs. I need to pay my car, my gas, my car insurance. My school expenses, I need to take care of this. And I stopped giving an offering. I just stopped. But at the same time, because I was rushing around from one job to the other, I probably spent about 30 to $40 a week in McDonald's and pizza. And during that season of being broke, I saw no growth in my life. No change spiritually. I saw nothing really develop. I saw no, nothing happen contrast that to when my wife and I got married and when we felt the, God, the call of God to move here to Scranton. My job didn't line up. You guys have heard this story before. Family issues were chaos. The church bare, didn't exist, really. We were still trying to find a building. But my wife and I decided we will always give. We will always be generous people. And we will live on 90%. We will give 10% at least to the church. So we, we made that a decision, and I saw God provide and multiply and increase our territory spiritually and financially over that year. There's something that happens in our heart when we say, God, I trust you with this. I, I remember going to, to uh, the guys were going out for wings one night. 35 cent wings, it's cheap, right? I couldn't go get five wings. I w- we, were, we were that tight our first year. But we saw God multiply and open doors for us then. What I'm saying is it's become, it was a heart issue for me. In college to when I moved here, my heart was like, God, I'll serve you with everything. I'll, I'll eat ramen noodles for a month. In college, it was like, I'm going to have myself a gourmet slice of pizza and a, and a quarter pounder before I give an offering. There's a heart issue. I believe that God loves when we give. He loves when we just say we trust you. One more point on this, and I'll move to the next one. I love in, in Scripture, in the New Testament, we see this in the church, the church in, to, from the church to the church in Jerusalem. In Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 8-9, and 9, we see this crazy story where Paul is telling the Corinthian church, um, who's going through some hardships and chaos, not too much. He's saying to them, he said, hey, um, the church in Macedonia who is starving to death, literally starving, there's a famine in the land, they are giving to the church in Jerusalem who is being persecuted by the sword and by starvation. They are giving to them. The broke are giving to the broke. What are you doing? And then he goes to the next chapter. It's hilarious. He basically says, you guys have pledged yourself to give money out of cheerfulness. He even says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. It's in, in this chapter 9. The Lord gives cheer, loves cheerfulness. You guys pledge yourself to give to this church in Jerusalem. If they showed up here, if the church in Macedonia shows up here today, you guys are going to feel humiliated. It actually uses the word humiliated. So he basically kind of says to the church, there's no pressure, but um, there's a lot of pressure. (laughs) You guys will feel pretty silly if for two years you've been, or for the last few years you've been saying you're going to give, and now when I show up, you don't have anything to give. You keep talking about generosity in your church, but you got nothing. I think it's really funny that he still puts in there, what if you guys give cheerfully? God will love you. God, God does love you, but God multiplies and expands. What if you have a generous heart, church? What if you have a generous heart? I can think, I can think of two examples, and one is a, a Christian, and one is not, where they have learned to give, not and keep the majority, but to give the majority away the owner of Caterpillar um, gives 90% of his income away. He has learned to live on 10%. His whole life, he's like, I will live on this. The owner of Caterpillar. You guys ever hear of five-hour energy? This guy's not a believer at all. I'm pretty sure he's not. But he has decided to give 99% of his income away. 99%. Go to YouTube, look up Five-hour energy and what he's giving. He is literally changing the face of the earth right now. He's d- developing plans to take salty ocean water and make it into clean, drinkable water for, for the world because that's one of the biggest issues in the world right now is clean water. That's one of the things he's putting his money into. The other thing is health and resources. It, it, you just got to look it up. 99%. I, you're saying, well, yeah, he's rich. Yeah, but that's a mentality. There's a lot of rich people who say, I'll give 1%. I give 10%, 5%, 3%. He says, no, I don't need that. I want to help this earth. What if we as a church who has Jesus, the only gift that really matters, the the reason we sing tonight when we sing together, the reason we sang this morning is because we have the hope of glory. We have eternal life. We have the Savior of the world. We have constant Holy Spirit, God dwelling in us. What if we looked at our money and said, you know what, I can learn to live on less and to give more the second area, getting away from the one that really stabbed you and made you angry at me and want to leave the church. I, I never, if you know me, I never speak on giving. I never do. But I feel like today is a season of generosity. We have to speak on this. Are we really a church that's generous? And the second area of generosity that I want to talk about is our love and our honor. Our love and our honor. One of the things as I was reading the, the, the nativity story, I guess, over the last two weeks as I was studying and looking at Scripture, one of the things that really struck me was, so you have these shepherds, and they're out in the field, and they hear the angels sing, and there's this word, go to Bethlehem, the Savior's born. So they show up, and there Jesus is, where's he at? He's in a barn, sleeping in a trough, wrapped in rags. And there's Mary and Joseph and their donkey. It's not pretty, it's ugly. It's ugly. I think a lot of our nativities make it look kind of pretty. Like there's some angelic being with gold shining and and there's this manger that's really cleaned out and the baby's all clean looking. This is a dirty situation. He was born with no doctors, no medical thing in a barn. In a barn. Sleeping in where the animals laid. And here the shepherds come and they worship him. They see a baby in the most broken conditions and they worship him. And then The wise men they hear a prophetic word, they know of this prophecy written a long time ago, they follow this star and they show up, and it's a little kid. It's a little child. In poor conditions. His family's not rich, his family isn't wealthy. They're not from like a crazy line that they knew of. I mean, he is from the line of David, but it wasn't like they had the money of David. It was brokenness. And the wise men give him valuable gifts. And worship him as the future king. And what struck me in my heart this week in the last two weeks is what if we became a church that is able to see people in the midst of their brokenness, but see them the way that God's called them and destined destined them to be? What if I look at my coworker or my aunts and my uncles or, or whoever the person is that drives me nuts? Or that person I barely even know. What if I'm able to look at them and see the destiny that God's already spoken over their lives instead of their current situation? What if I speak that? What if I love them with my words? What if I love them with my affections? What if I honor them with my behavior? What if I honor them the way that God has chosen himself to honor them, to speak destiny over them? Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. I want to read this together. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope may the god of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the god and father of our lord Jesus Christ therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of god what if we as a church was able to look at the other person the person that we don't really relate to get along with and bear their burdens with them, to lift them up when they're discouraged, to see the calling and the destiny that God's seen on them and call that and speak that forth. That's what New Testament prophecy is. It's speaking what God has destined, what God has promised in the life of, of, of somebody and calling it out, bringing it out of them. What if we became people that instead of letting that person drive you nuts all the time, you began to say, God, give me the eyes of Christ to see, you have, see them as you have destined them to be as you have called them to be. That person you can't stand, the truth is the gospel has already written words of destiny about them, that he came to save them, to give them life, to have the fullness of Christ in them, the fullness of God dwelling inside of them. That's the word spoken over all of creation, that we be reconciled to him, that we know him, we all experience the ultimate gift of him, and that we are brothers, co-heirs in Christ. That's the destiny that God has spoken over the person you can't stand. The person that you don't give a second glance. What if we look at them the way the shepherd saw a baby in in junk in his infant stage and saw a king? What if we look at our coworkers and we see the bride of Christ? What if we look at them and we see the hope of the earth? What if we see an ambassador of the gospel in them when right now what they are is junk? They're an addict, they're in chains they're a liar, they're a manipulator, they're, they're our enemy. What if we see the call of God in them instead? We need to, des- to see and declare that. We need to see and declare the fullness of Christ in them. We need to call out destiny. The church has to be people who calls out destiny when nobody else does. We have to see the beloved in those who are around us. We have to see the gifts that are hiding inside of them and call it out. I'm very thankful that I had a mom and a dad and I had a youth pastor who called out destiny in me when I didn't see it. When I thought I was an introvert, shy, chubby little fat kid with no, nothing, nothing to offer the world, they saw a voice of hope. They saw a pastor They saw a film director. They began to speak into me that I could become what God put in me. They began to put words of hope and encouragement in my heart when when I felt my classmates speaking against me. What if we become a church that gives that way? We we give when we don't want to give. We speak love when we'd rather just speak frustration or hate or discouragement or anger sometimes, let me say this, sometimes our impre- our first impressions are very, very wrong. You guys ever have that experience? You meet somebody and you're like, I was, I don't, that person's stupid. <laughs> sometimes we're very, very wrong. Let me just give you two real quick. I've said this before. Jared, Jared's the founding pastor of City Lights. I did not like him when I met him. I, I just, I thought that kid's young, dumb, and, and full, of, full of it. <laughs> He's just full of it. He was a lot younger. Than, he was four years younger than me. I was like a, a a senior, and he was in ninth grade, and he was preaching. I'm like, who is this kid preaching? Shut up, man! I don't like He is my closest friend. That was a bad first impression of him, right? My wife, my own wife. First time I met my wife, we were very, we were really young, probably middle school, something like that. Uh, her family went to my church, and. Um, we didn't date for year, until years later. But first time I met her, her aunt was telling my mom that she was obsessed with me. It's kind of a funny thing. So as like a, a preteen boy, it kind of freaked me out. And, and she, she, she has contacts now. She had very, very thick glasses at that time. So I'm like, this girl I don't know with thick glasses is obsessed with me, freaking me out, right? That was not the truth at all. Like, not, not who Ashley is. And then all, like, all of a sudden, a few years later, I'm like, something changed. She got rid of the contacts. That's what it was. Yeah. It was different. And she's like, hey, what do you like to do? I'm like, I don't know. What do you like to do? Let's go, let's go do something. So that's, that's how it worked. That's exact. No, I'm kidding. But like, what if I would have held on to that first like, initial response? What if I would have held on to that? And so often we do that with people in the church. We, we, we meet somebody and we hold their past or their present against them and keep it away from their future. We hold that so they can't get to where they're called to be. So when when God's done a work in somebody's life, because they did this to us in the past, we don't let them speak life into us in the future. So now we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting that person. Jesus was not accepted in his own hometown because they held him as a view of a little boy. You're still that little boy. Aren't you Mary and Joseph's son? They didn't let the change happen. They didn't see destiny when wise men from far off saw destiny, when shepherds out in the field saw destiny. Yeah, there was a prophetic word. Yeah, there was a clear moment. But sometimes you and I have to see the prophetic word over the person beside us. Sometimes we got to buy into the word spoken about our friends, about our family, about our fathers and our mothers. we got to hold on to the word of what God has called them to be rather than what we've seen them be. There's a lot more shouting in this part than the first part. I don't know. Why yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. That's pretty good. So, two more quick examples. Um, growing up, and I was 12th grade. I talked to you before about my best friend Chris. Uh, at that time, still love him. I'm, I talk to him every week. He lives in California. But Chris had a brother named Matt. <laughs> Ben's laughing because he knows them. Chris and Matt. Like, I became very close friends with Chris. Matt was a few years younger than me. But I'd go to their house, and this is, you know, this is years ago. They're teenagers. And I would show up, and my house was a house full of honor and respect to my parents. Now, we didn't always like it, but we didn't say anything about it. We just held it inside. I would go to Chris and Matt's house, and we'd be sitting watching TV on the couch, and one of them would go, Mom, make me a sandwich. Give me one. Like, just start yelling at her. And then you would hear curses coming out of Matt, like bad profanity toward his mom and his brother, like they were like cursing at each other and stuff. Like it was chaos, right? What if I held that as the only way that Matt and and Chris could live? What if I held that dysfunction as all that they would experience? Today, Chris has been in ministry. He's got such a heart for God. He is one of the most spiritual men I know, and he actually is kind of different. He's he's like Chris then and Chris today are very different people. It's kind of funny. Like, Today is like, I look at Chris, I'm like, you're kind of like Mr. Rogers now. What happened? Like, you, you got the sweaters and you like your coffee. You got these glasses. It's like, that was not the Chris that I knew. Matt, Matt is the youth pastor where I used to be the youth pastor before I moved here. Now. God's done something in them that's so different from who they were. And hopefully I can say the same thing about myself. Hopefully I can look back and say, God's done something and I'm different than who I used to be. What if we see that in each other? What if we look at when we go home for a family break or or for a Christmas break and we visit with our aunts and our uncles and our cousins? What if instead of seeing that obnoxious cousin or that really stupid aunt, we see that God's put destiny in them and we just have to call it out and speak it out? What if we speak life? What if we speak salvation? What if we speak the gospel into that situation instead of holding on to our frustrations? Maybe, maybe this morning you can't give financially at all. You can't give with your time because you're very busy. What, what, if that's not, what if that's not it? You can give destiny. You can give honor. You can give love to the people around you, your friends, your neighbors, and your enemies. You can give that and have a spirit of generosity this week. See, it's all about our heart. When we don't give out of any of those ways, whether financially or love or honor, it's because we have a heart of poverty. We have a a mindset of poverty. Poverty, poverty and what I believe about me says that I don't have the hope of Christ, that I don't have the hope of glory, that I don't have the one who owns it all, the ruler of the universe living inside of me, when I don't believe that about myself, I can't speak that about you. I can't speak that into you. When I don't believe that he is the reason for the season, that he is everything that we need, the treasure that's supposed to be sought after, if I don't believe that I have that, then I can't share that. When we look at our finances in our, in our wealth and our resources when I don't believe that the God of the universe who owns the cattle on a thousand hills who every nickel dollar dime is already his and that he can give that to me at any moment if I don't believe that about him what I begin to do is pull in all the resources to myself and put it in my pocket for later because I don't trust that when Jesus says his eyes are on the sparrow and that he'll also look after you that he already knows tomorrow before it's here that he's already dressed the flowers of the field how much why should we worry about tomorrow if i don't really believe that that hope that wealth of the kingdom that the resources of heaven are already inside of me and available to me because of the father loves me if i don't believe that then i can't share what i already have i can't give to the broken i can't give to the scranton rescue mission i can't give to my friends and family instead what i do is i look for the sale and i buy for myself I look for how can I get more for me to store up my treasures. If we are called to have a spirit of generosity as the church, we have to have a wealth mindset and not a poverty mindset. That we have to see the riches of the kingdom and the goodness of God and believe that it's in us and for us. And then we can share that. When you you believe that you are lacking, you're constantly looking for more. When you believe you have abundance in Christ, you feel free to give And you give extra. The poverty mindset cripples our ability to give. This morning, this is not your typical Christmas message, but I want us to be a church that doesn't just hear about the nativity scene and doesn't just hear about angels a long time ago, but we realize there's something in this season that we should be challenging ourselves to see as Christ sees and to give as Christ gave. To give as the Father has given us. It's time to start living as the gift to the world and not as a gift to ourselves. To not be all about how do I protect this church. I'm telling you something, and I don't want to cry in this moment. It's ridiculous. God is changing city lights. We've had our elders meeting, and we've had a a couple other things where God has clearly told us we are no longer in a place where we are building a church to try to be a cool little church, we are this year God has challenged us and given us some pretty big dreams. How do we get the city? How do we spread out and be missional? How do we give How do we give generously and sacrificially to those around us? There are some pretty big dreams in my heart, and I would ask for you to pray about them. I believe that god 's spoken them, but we need some pretty big things to happen for them to take place so I know that was kind of vague, and I, I will definitely share the vision in the next few weeks, I feel. But I just pray, because we are going from a church that looks inward to a church that looks outward and has to start in our hearts. It, has to, it can't just be me and a few elders and our wives. It cannot be that. It has to be us across the board, learning to look out and give and see people as God sees them. Christ is our ultimate joy. He's the greatest treasure. And he can't be held in any vault or any museum or any one local church. He is to be demonstrated and shared everywhere, including your Christmas meal, including those moments where you're opening presents with in-laws, your in-laws. Can you look at your mother-in-law, your father-in-law and say, I see in you Christ, the hope of glory. I see in you destiny. Can you do that? I'm not saying, what, what I want you to hear this morning, before you leave, I don't want you to hear Jesse's preaching so that the City Lights bank account grows. That's not what I'm saying at all. Give everywhere. Don't give here. Don't, don't just be like, well, Jesse says give here, so I'll give here. Now I feel good. I've got my little checklist marked off. We want to be a generous people across the board. In every area of society, we are giving of ourselves and giving of what God has put inside of us. Let's give life this Christmas. Let's give and spread life everywhere.